0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hey, welcome to
0: Stuff to Blow Your Mind, listener mail. This is Robert Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick, and we're bringing you some of the messages that you've sent in over the past week or two. And to start us off today, we got a wonderful response to our episode on the – or our pair of episodes on the Holy Undead. Rob, do you want to start with this one from Rhiannon?
1: Sure, sure. Rhiannon writes, Dear Robert and Joe, I'm going to start off by saying how amazing the pot is. You guys kept me company during the early hours of the morning while I was nursing my newborn right at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. I also thoroughly enjoy Weird House Cinema, although the only film I've watched was Deep Blue Sea. There's something very enjoyable about listening to two friends talk about films they're passionate about, even if I've never heard of them. Anyway, growing up in South Wales, we have a very rich history of legends. I only became aware of this legend when I was in my 20s when I went to work in a neighboring area to the legend. In the village of Egloeslien, the locals refused to go anywhere near the church after dark. Villagers told of ghostly figures wandering through the church the night after someone had died. After a night out with some friends, I assume some beer was drank, a young farmhand saw that there were candles lit in the church, and he could see ghostly figures moving around. With the aforementioned Dutch courage, he decided to look through the window. Instead of ghosts roaming the pews, it was, in fact, the vicar and his daughters dressed in ghostly
0: robes. That's a good racket.
1: (laughs) The vicar would tell grieving families that it was important for any jewelry or money be placed in the casket of the deceased prior to burial. In the dead of night, then, the vicar and his daughters would steal all the valuables before the burial. While looking through the window, the farmhand made a noise and was spotted by one of the quote-unquote ghosts. He heard them say that they would have to kill him, so he ran and hid under a bridge. When he took villagers to see the church the next day, the vicar and his daughters were gone. The body of the latest death in the village was lying in an open coffin without her valuables. The vicar and his daughters were never seen again. In one of the Mabinogi, there is also a pyre uh, Dadani, which is a cauldron of rebirth. It was gifted to the king of Ireland. Any dead soldiers were placed in the cauldron to emerge alive but deaf and maybe mute. One final note, growing up in South Wales, I was lucky enough to spend many a wet weekend visiting the many historical houses that are in the area. Hearing the invention episode where you discuss turn spit dogs was fascinating as I didn't realize it was unusual. Whoa. Thanks again for all the content you guys put out.
0: Rhiannon. Can you imagine growing up in a magical land... Where turnspit dogs are just part of everything, you know. It's, it's like it's like I was living in the Shire in my early life, except there were little little treadmills in every kitchen.
1: Well, I I don't take her to mean to, to mean that um, she grew up uh, <laughs> surrounded by using. actual functional spit dogs, but more like oh well, here here are the the remnants of this practice, and mm-hmm. uh, and therefore it's not. Uh, why would you be shocked
0: that this occurred obviously this occurred we see the the leftovers of this so one thing i really like about your uh, your legend from oh no what's the name of this place again eglu Isilan is that this is the this is the scooby doo inversion right you, you would expect the <laughs> local legend about the hauntings of the church to have some ghostly backstory and or maybe even end up with uh, with a bunch of revenants roasting the local priest on the altar But no, in this case, they pulled the mask off. And, you know, if it wasn't for these meddling farmers, we would have got away with it.
1: I like the detail about how they were never seen again, because on one hand, we can take the the very literal... Uh, version of that and it's like they skip town like the the, uh, you know the 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 con is over and they must uh, flee to another town to try and uh, and pull this off Uh, but it also reminds me of some other stories in fact some some chinese stories that i was that i was reading recently about were tigers and this this factored into a recent artifact monster fact episode um, where uh, after someone is discovered uh, they disappear, they're gone. Like they, they, they're forced to leave the world of the living and, and, and live in the wilds. Uh, so there's something kind of supernatural to this as well. And it also mirrors those other ghost stories where uh, when the sun comes back up, when people go to investigate the mysterious happenings, uh, the perpetrators are nowhere to be seen. In this case, not merely because they were ghosts that
0: had to return to the grave, but because they were criminals who had to flee town. Oh well, we didn't think about the other alternative. One other interpretation is that the legend implies the uh, the vicar and his daughters were like torn apart by the ghosts of the of the people who had passed on, or some met mm. some uh, met some ignominious end in the middle of the night, and thus were never seen again. Yeah, that would be a nice twist. But I got to say, to the farmhand, what you go hide under a bridge? You lucky you got away. I mean, that's the first place a vicar's going to look under the bridge. Really, <laughs> well, it seems obvious. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I will say, however, I, I don't
1: necessarily think people need to be uh, th- th- deserve to be torn apart by revenants if they they steal from the dead.
0: <laughs> Seems a little harsh. Guess it depends what they steal. Like somehow, I feel this needs to be paired with all those uh, Scottish stories that were well, not just legends, but actual reality about uh, all, all the bodies being stolen out of graves for uh, for medical colleges in the what was it the the nineteenth century?
1: Mm-hmm. I guess the the. the Uh, I I think that the idea of revenants tearing the vicar and his daughters apart, that would work best if the vicar and his daughters were clearly killing people to cover up their crimes, you know, Mm. then maybe it it feels a little more balanced, at least in a, you know, folkloric sense.
0: Well, yes, I guess from our point of view, but then again, many legends uh, ain't fair. True, true. All right, this next message comes to us from Fion. Fionn says, Dear Robert, Joe, and Seth, Hi all. Love the show and thought I'd finally write in. When Joe mentioned that he had heard a score written for Metropolis in the episode about the science of scary music, it instantly reminded me of a fond memory from when I was a young teenager going to see this movie for the first time. It was a special viewing, and it took place in an old gothic church with the band uh, Three Epcano... I'm not sure how you say that but it's the nu- the numeral 3 and then E P K A N O uh performing their score live.
1: Ah, uh, interesting this is apparently a, an Irish band uh that have performed uh, live musical scores for the likes of the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, yep. Metropolis, Nosferatu, Dear Golem, etc.
0: Yeah, I looked them up and and I like the music. I don't think this is the one I heard. Um I'm I'm not I can't be positive about that cuz I don't remember which the one I heard was but this doesn't sound right for for the one I heard in the past but uh but yeah I, I like their stuff but Fionn goes on I also wanted to respond to your discussion of early Christians incorporating pagan beliefs into the religion as it spread in the Holy Undead part 1 This reminded me of Brigid a fantastic character from Irish myth and one of the Tuatha De Danann she is still celebrated here in Ireland and uh, and abroad, mostly as St. Bridget, a Catholic saint who is essentially the same character with the same stories. A group of local storytellers and podcasters, Candlelit Tales, have great insights into this and give wonderful performances of Irish tales, so I thought you guys might be interested. To close off, I wanted to share one more thing. The Tale of Cúchulainn by Miracle of Sound, an Irish folk-slash-metal song about the hero Cúchulainn who has come up in several of your previous episodes. And then we get a link. Thanks for all the enlightening and entertaining discussion. All the best, Fionn. All right.
1: Here's one from uh, Jim in New Jersey, uh, who we've heard to, of course, many times before. Uh, Jim writes in and says, Robert and Joe. In Season 2, Episode 13 of The Walking Dead, the main characters have been scattered due to an encounter with a herd of zombie walkers. No one knows how many of their other friends and family have survived. Main character Rick Grimes and his son Carl have escaped with man of faith, Herschel Green. They're at a crossroads moment discussing what to do. Herschel laments that um, all that he's lost, including his daughters, who might be dead. Here's the dialogue that follows as Rick encounters Herschel's statement. Rick says, And you don't know that. You're a man of God. Have some faith. And then Herschel says, I can't profess to understand God's plan, but Christ promised the resurrection of the dead. I just thought he had something a little different in mind. And then Jim continues, Herschel's statement is my favorite from the entire series, Jim in New
0: Jersey. I didn't really do Herschel uh, justice there. Sorry about that. What, are you familiar with this character? I never made it that far in The Walking Dead. Uh, Yeah, this was
1: a character played by the the late, great um, character actor, Scott Wilson, Uh, Hmm. So he was, in my opinion, he was, he was always the strongest acting presence on the entire show. Uh, So uh, he was one of those, he was one of those actors that anything he said, uh, no matter, you know, no matter uh, how the writing was, he was going to inject a certain level of, uh, of life and seriousness or even humor uh, into it. He was just, he he was just really good. Uh, I don't specifically remember this moment, uh, but, uh, but I can, I can you know, I, I can certainly imagine in my head, both of these, uh, these actors, uh, uh, giving those lines life. Okay. So you can't do Herschel justice, but how's your Rick? I don't know. I felt my, my, my Rick was pretty strong there. Yeah. I haven't watched the, the walking dead in a, in a while. I think I, uh, I'd, I'd watched several seasons and then we kind of stopped watching,
0: uh, about four or five years ago and, uh, we just didn't pick it back up. That line does highlight something interesting that I think what Jim is getting at is uh, something about the fluidity of the concepts of life after death or resurrection of the dead as came through in the Holy Undead episodes. There's some kind of a uh, strange situation where, like, uh, remember, uh, Bishop Teetmar was taking these weird stories, obviously, about revenants that have some kind of menacing aura, and they probably don't originally come, you know, the legends were probably not created by Christians, and they've got the, the certain pagan aspects to them, but he's willing to take it. He'll take it and say, okay, yeah, resurrection of the dead, see, just like we told you. Um, so it does highlight something funny about like what are the boundaries of like the fluidity of these kind of concepts? Uh, how, how how close does it have to be to apply to your religious precepts about resurrection?
1: Yeah, I, I mean it also makes me think about the there. If you if you travel deep enough in the south, you encounter all sorts of billboards that uh, are alarming or enraging. Uh, but there are a series. I think these are in like South Georgia. Where suddenly there are these billboards that feature images of Christ with like um, uh, like military strike teams or Christ with zombies, and um, it, it, it's it's very weird and, and strange. But but it implies. I mean, assuming these are not just completely uh, you know attempts at, at, at satire or, or something, um, it it seems like like someone has picked up. Uh, some level of like zombie media and sort of folded that into their own sort of apocalyptic understandings of uh, of the Bible. I don't know. It's it's very weird. Oh, They're I think unsettling.
0: I think this exists in American culture. There's a certain amount of um, pop syncretism. Again, to mm-hmm. you know invoke the syncretism, but here what's being mixed is. Um, a certain type of fundamentalist Christianity that's very focused on the end times and popular post-apocalyptic media. And I think this gets combined sometimes in like the prepper mindset and stuff like that. Mm. Well, yeah, I guess also if we think back to even like
1: the 1990s and probably the 1980s as well, um, you saw certain uh, certain examples of this where you took uh, modern ideas of what the end of the world might be like, modern ideas of, say, what a, um, a nuclear war would consist of, and that gets um, reinterpreted through the lens of, uh, like, the Book of Revelation.
0: Yeah, yeah, the Book of Revelation. Oh, yeah, actually, it's talking about helicopters and nuclear bombs and fallout and stuff like mm-hmm. that, um, which, folks, it's not, you know, it. <laughs> It is a very political book, but it was about the Roman Empire <laughs> All right. This next message comes from Nathan, and it concerns a couple of previous episodes, uh, our series on uh, uh, religious reactions to the Black Death and our uh, episode and the episode I did with Seth on scary music. This is from Nathan. Nathan says, I loved your series of episodes on God and the Black Death. It's fascinating to learn more than just the standard story on the plague spread, and I was surprised how it affected both Western and Eastern religions. You mentioned the scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail where a line of monks hit themselves in the head with wooden boards. Aside from the absurd physical comedy, this is also a loving spoof of Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal. The entire movie is a meditation on how people react to death during the plague and how God and the church fit into their lives in particular there is a scene where a procession of people enters the town square moaning self-flagellating and chanting the dies irae Ah, the Dies Irae actually came up in, uh, I think, the previous Listener Mail episode. Again, it's that mm-hmm. – uh, it often refers to – it's like a medieval chant that I think was associated with funerals. But uh, th- today, the phrase Dies Irae often refers to like the first four-note sequence in this chant, which uh, if you're trying to conjure it in your mind, it's also the first four notes of the main theme to The Shining. Yes. Nathan says, the scene is haunting – and this is referring again to The Seventh Seal – the scene is haunting and the movie quite thought-provoking – uh well Nathan thank you for calling this to mind because I had I have seen the 7th Seal but it's been a long time and I completely forgot this was in there. I I did not remember that uh Monty Python was was doing a parody of this. But man th- uh that scene is good Halloween content. Oh yes, yeah, it, likewise
1: I think it's been a very long time since I've I've seen this film and I don't even know if it's one I ever watched in its entirety. Maybe I only caught caught it in chunks on uh, one of the classic movie channels back in the day. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, but certainly uh, uh, beautifully rendered in, in black and white,
0: very, very fitting for the theme of the film. Well, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in it. It's one of those movies that has been parodied in many ways that people don't even realize. Like, they don't realize what the original reference is. So I think maybe today a lot of people have seen Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and they don't quite realize the connection with the death character. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, William uh, Sandler's uh, character uh, from that. Uh, That also popped up
0: on Tales from the Crypt. Um, Yeah, is is a direct reference to this film. Nathan continues. Moving to a lighter note, I just listened to your episode, The Science of Scary Music. Joe and Seth discussed how early sound movies always had to show where the musical score was coming from on screen. This reminded me of something I'd heard about a Marx Brothers movie from 1929 called The Coconuts. According to IMDb, an orchestra was brought onto the set to play the background music for the film's songs to avoid the music seemingly coming from nowhere. However, they were not actually filmed playing, so the scenes were included with no on-screen orchestra. When the film was released, one of the writers jibed, no one cared, of course. Keep up the fun and enlightening podcast, Nathan.
1: All right. Well, speaking of cinema, let's uh, let's look at a, a Weird House Cinema email. This one comes to us from Stephen. Greetings, mind blowers, Robin, Joe. My name is Stephen, pronounced Stephen. Longtime listener, first time mailer. I Wanted to start by thanking you for the endless hours of high quality entertainment you keep me sane during the long night shifts at my cannabis laboratory job. I've learned much listening to your show, and you both have reignited my love for knowledge after a tumultuous but successful end to my college career. Weird House Cinema has a uh, was a fantastic addition to the show, and as a wannabe horror guy, uh, is always a highlight of my week. I'm writing you to recommend Final Fantasy Spirits Within for Weird House <laughs> Cinema.
0: Oh, dude.
1: (laughs) Beyond the name, it has nothing to do with the expansive video game franchise, so no prior knowledge is required to enjoy the film. In fact, I felt like I knew more about the film before I watched it. It was the first feature-length, photorealistic CGI film. The visuals are pleasant for their age, and the story centers on a scientist who's trying to save a post-apocalyptic Earth from invisible nuclear holocaust alien ghosts. The dialogue is pure cheese start to finish, and this movie absolutely must be seen to be believed, plus cool alien designs. Hoping this movie earns a spot on your fabled Weird House Cinema
0: list. Keep up the fantastic work. Thank you both. Well, I think if we did it, it would be our first 21st century movie. Um, is that correct? We, we still have not broken the century barrier? Yes, that would be correct. Uh, we have not uh, ventured into
1: the 21st century yet, and Final Fantasy The Spirits Women came out in 2001.
0: I saw this movie in theaters. I don't know Oh, about really? You, Yes, I did. Uh, and in, in fact, I wonder if that's the only way anybody's ever seen it. Cause this is one of those movies. It's of a type and from a period that I feel like does not get a lot of revisiting. Uh, which I think is actually the perfect kind of film to look at on Weird House Cinema a movie that like is, is weird for all kinds of interesting reasons and people have completely forgotten about. If we could only do movies like that, that'd be wonderful. i remember watching this on a television set in a dorm room
1: and um i remember being amused by it at the time i haven't seen it since it has a tremendous uh uh, uh, voice uh uh, cast a lot of uh, very talented actors were involved in the english dub on this but uh, i do vaguely remember there being some sort of interesting monsters and i remember (laughs) the i remember the animation being ambitious
0: yeah, I wonder how that animation has aged because, Frank, a lot of uh, computer animation, especially from like this period, the early 2000s, is now uh, is now rather hilarious to look at. But I haven't gone back and watched this one. Several things that stick in my mind about it. I think I may have somehow mentioned this on the podcast before when this came out, but – uh one of the things uh, a friend of mine who we went to see it uh w- one of my friends pointed out that the last line of dialogue in the film is Donald Sutherland saying ooh it's warm yeah
1: <laughs> looking at the stills i'm reminded that that the lead character at least in many of these shots has a has a very strong jennifer connelly vibe to her but is not voiced by jennifer connelly uh which uh, seems like a, a missed opportunity but I guess this all this movie was also before we started seeing more of that, where you would have computer-animated characters that were based specifically on uh, individuals.
0: Yeah, if I recall, so it does have a uh, a well-known voice cast, but my memory is that the characters don't look like the people voicing them. So I know the... Voice cast in, uh, included like Donald Sutherland, uh, uh, Steve Buscemi, I think Ving Rames, mm-hmm. and uh, I think the villain was James Woods. So you know, yes, that it, is. So, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's got like a very well-known uh, American voice cast, but like the the characters didn't look like any of those people, right?
1: But and who knows? We, we might have to consider it. I wonder if it's one that has been remastered at all over the years. Um. Either way, if we were to cover it, I think it would it would not only be our first twenty uh, first century film, it would also be our first animated film, right? Have we done a fully animated film yet?
0: Huh. Uh, I I was thinking we had, but now that I think of it, I can't call it. I guess it depends. Do you count the uh, the paper animations of Cinderella and uh, that, Well, we did do
1: yes. That that yeah. is true. That was an animated uh, themed uh, um, uh, episode. Uh, so I guess that, that sort of counts. Well, I guess it, to, to, it would be more correct to say we have not done a feature-length animated film yet.
0: But yeah, I mean, all other things being equal, Stephen, uh, I, think, I think you may in fact have a good sense of what kind of weird and forgotten film is, uh, is, is ripe for picking on this show. Now, speaking of films, Joe, have you seen the new Dune adaptation yet? Oh, I haven't. I, I have a good excuse, which is that uh, my eyeballs have been in the shop ever since we watched House by the Cemetery. But as soon oh, as well, I get okay. them back and fully wor- in working order again, I'm going to watch Dune. Okay, that's good. Am I, because I was, uh, I was
1: beginning to suspect that you might be watching films about thinking machines instead, uh, which would be a huge no-no. I, I would never. I would never. <laughs> well, um, once once you have had a chance to watch it we'll have to discuss it maybe i think it might make sense to maybe discuss it here on listener mail in mm-hmm. the future and uh, towards that end if anyone out there has thoughts on the new dune adaptation and you would like to share them with us uh please please do so i i greatly enjoyed watching the film and there are, there are various little uh little moments that i've that I took a lot of joy in uh and and would and would love to to chat about them. So uh so hey, let us let us know about that. What do you think about the uh you know, the music, the look, the performances and those little uh almost kind of easter eggs that are uh, scattered throughout uh sometimes referring to things that uh that come up later on in the in the series or things that were in the first book. Uh, that you just were never going to be adapted just because they, you know it was just a, a minuscule thing uh, and there's no time for it even in like a six-hour adaptation.
0: A strange trend uh, we've sort of noticed so far is that this seems to be the inverse of a lot of movie adaptations of books. A lot of times you get the situation where people who haven't read the book like the movie adaptation because the story is new to them, and then people who have read the book are like mad because the movie didn't get some aspect of the book that they wanted and, and all that. Mm-hmm. It uh, seems kind of the inverse here. All the people I know who love the movie the most are people who love the book as well.
1: Yeah, I I haven't talked to a ton of people about it, but I I, I can see that trend. Most of the people I've talked to about it are people who who had read it and they liked it. Um, however, my wife never read the book, but she was you know quite familiar gr- from growing up watching the the Lynch version. Mm-hmm. So she kind of had that to build on. So I wonder if there isn't. Yeah, another category of Dune fan where maybe they haven't read it, but they're familiar enough with the story through pop culture and through the previous adaptations that they're essentially good to go. Like they know what the story beats are going to be. They know what the some of the main technologies and themes are. And uh, this is uh, to a
0: certain extent, you know, just a, a new fantastic coat of paint on everything. Wait, she's familiar because she grew up watching the Lynch version. That's cool. Well, you what, know, it's like every Christmas or something. <laughs> well, the, the the way TV used to work is TV was
1: on and you watched it. Oh my um, god! So you know, those were the days. Was, yeah, Dune was a sh- was a was a movie that they would they it would, it would just air, and if it were if it were on, you watch part of it. I mean, it was uh, Lynch's Dune is a lot of things, but uh, you know, visually boring is not one of them. <laughs> no. um, so. Um, uh you know th- there's that and I, I think i think maybe they might have owned it on vhs or something as well
0: now one type of contrast i have sort of noticed so far is that i i of course am uh in many ways a big fan of lynch's adaptation of dune but of course lynch's vision of dune is gorgeously ugly is mm-hmm. the new movie also in a way gorgeously ugly or is it just gorgeous
1: um i mean it's gorgeously ugly where it needs to be but not as ugly like uh, you know, take um, take the Baron. You know, the Baron is. I feel like in the this new adaptation is as hideous as he needs to be, uh, without like really amping it up. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> without without saying, well, he's evil, but how can we say that with boils? You know, uh, right. the boils are unnecessary. Uh, you, you know, there's you know, you have an awesome costume, awesome makeup, build out, and then an awesome performance at the heart
0: of it by Stellan Skarsgård. All right, well, as soon as I get the eyes back, I am good to go on Dune. <laughs> well, don't settle for those uh, Tleilaxu eyes, uh, Joe. Those are uh, those are going to totally uh, destroy the, the experience. No, I, I will settle for no upselling <laughs> or downselling. I don't, I don't know how that would go. <laughs> I won't take the Tleilaxu uh, loners from the show. <laughs> okay, we got to call it.
1: All right, yeah. So, yeah, write in if you have thoughts about, about about Dune. We we love chatting about Dune, and I'm hoping we'll have a, have a, have an episode coming out in November where we'll maybe we'll dive into a Dune related topic. So, uh, stay tuned for that. In the meantime, if you would like to check out other episodes of Listener Mail from Stuff to Blow Your Mind, it airs on Monday in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. Tuesdays and Thursdays, we give you our core full-length episodes. Wednesday is time for an artifact episode. Sometimes it's a monster fact, depending on uh, what we're feeling. And on Friday, we do Weird
0: House Cinema. That's our time, of course, to just focus on a weird film. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows.